invite you now to listen once more to God's holy word. Again from Matthew 3, verses 13 to 17. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened for him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Thus far, the reading of God's word, it is absolutely true. And it is given to you because your Father in heaven loves you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I ask now that the words of my mouth and the meditations and thoughts of all of our hearts gathered here in your presence would be found pleasing and acceptable in your sight. We ask this through our rock and redeemer, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Two of my favorite questions in the Westminster Larger Catechism, I hope you have some favorite questions in the Westminster Larger Catechism, but in any case, two of my favorites are found in the back of your order of worship this morning. Questions 66 and 83. 66 reads like this, it says, The union which the elect have with Christ is the work of God's grace, whereby they are spiritually, that is, by the work of the Spirit, and mystically, that is, in a way that is mysterious, yet really and inseparably joined to Christ as their head and husband. 66 describes the union that we enjoy with Christ that is wrought by the Spirit. And question 83 describes the benefit of that union, what it means that we are united to Jesus. 83 says this, The members of the invisible church have communicated to them. That doesn't mean it's said to you. That means it's given to you. It's you have communion with these things, have communicated to them in this life the first fruits of glory with Christ. How do you know the first fruits of glory? It is with Christ and your union with him as they are members of him, their head, and in him, in Christ, in their union with Christ, have been given interest, a share, in that glory which he is fully possessed of, that is, now at his Father's right hand, we have been given 
a share in that glory through our union with Christ. And as an earnest, as a deposit thereof, we enjoy now through our union with Christ the sense of God's love, peace of conscience, joy in the Holy Spirit, and hope of glory. We enjoy none of these things, this catechism is saying, on our own, in the abstract. We enjoy our sense of God's love, our peace of conscience, our joy in the Holy Spirit, our hope of glory in union with Christ, which means that we experience the same things that he does in those respects. That is what is wrought for you in your union with your Lord. What these questions are saying, really, fundamentally, in a simple way, is that if you belong to Jesus, if you have been baptized in the triune name and have trusted in Christ, then you have been united to Jesus, to the living Christ, to the eternal Son, by the power of the Holy Spirit. What that means, simply put, is that whatever is true for Jesus is now also true for you. You have a real share, a real stake, a real portion in that glory that Jesus has now even at the Father's right hand. Jesus has peace in his conscience because he has been declared fully righteous in his resurrection of the dead. And you enjoy that same peace of conscience that is his by your union with him. Jesus lives and dwells always in the fullness of joy in the Holy Spirit. He is the most perfectly joyful and happy human person to have ever lived. And that same fullness of joy is given to you. Jesus knows that he is the eternally beloved Son of God. And in your union with Christ, you are given the power to know and believe that you are God's beloved too. Whatever is true for Jesus is true also for you. That's what it means to be united to Christ. All of our life is played out in union with him. And our sufferings, we don't suffer alone. No, in our sufferings, we are actually, the scriptures tell us, by the Spirit, made partakers of the sufferings of Christ. We suffer with him. And in the same way, in our triumphs and in our joys, we don't triumph and rejoice alone. We do so in union with the living and risen Christ. When we work, when we eat, when we laugh, when we sleep, when we cry, all of it is in a union and communion with our husband and our head, the one to whom we have been joined spiritually and mystically, yet really and inseparably. Jesus the Christ, our incarnate, crucified, risen, and ascended Lord. And that means that in our text this morning, when God the Father speaks to God the Son and says to Jesus, by the power of the Spirit and his baptism, you are my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. He is saying, 
those words to you as well. God the Father declares Jesus to be his beloved son here in Matthew 3 for a number of reasons, but not least of which because he wants you in your union with Christ to know and hear and believe that you also are his beloved. You are the beloved. If you are in Christ, friend, these words are for you. These words that God speaks directly to his son are given to you. You see, in your baptism, when the name of Christ is placed upon you, you are then bound up into the life of Jesus. Whatever is true for Jesus becomes true for you. Paul puts it this way in Romans 6. He says, do you not know? Like, this is perfectly obvious, according to Paul. Do you not know? That all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus, into union with him, that is, were baptized into his death. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, Paul says, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Or, as Paul says in another place, in Galatians 3, he says, In Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. The reason we are baptized is because Jesus was baptized. And in our baptisms, our lives are bound up with his You see, there's no verse in the scriptures that says that Josh Anderson is the beloved son of God. But here in this passage, it says that about Jesus. And because it says it here about Jesus, it also says it about me and about you. At least part of the reason why God says these words here in Matthew 3 to his son Part of the reason why he calls him his beloved son and Matthew writes it down and Mark writes it down and Luke writes it down is so that when you are tempted to doubt the reality of God's love in your life, you can turn to this passage and remember, oh, yes, I have been united to Christ. And so I also am the beloved of God. In John 17, Jesus prays remarkable words to his Father as he sits there with his disciples. He says to his Father in his disciples' hearing, he says, The glory, Father, you have given me, I have given to them, that is, those men that were with him, that they may be one even as we are one, I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know, speaking to the Father, that you sent me and that you loved them even as you loved me. I mean, you hear what Jesus is saying there in that prayer? He's saying that God loves you, friend, in the same way that he loves Jesus. The world may know, Jesus says to the Father, that you sent me and you loved them 
that is my disciples, even as you loved me. God loved his son before the foundation of the world. It is the fundamental reality. God is love. But do you know what, friends? The mystery of the faith that we confess is that he loves you in just the same way. And in fact, he has loved you in that way since before the foundation of the world. It is more fundamental than creation itself, God's love for you. Paul says in Ephesians 1, he says, He, meaning the Father, chose us, elected us in Christ, when? Before the foundation of the world. And how? In Christ. That we should be holy and blameless before him. And why? In love, Paul says. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, co-heirs with him according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. How do all these things come to you, friend? All the grace, all the mercy, in union with the Beloved Son, in union with the one that makes you the Beloved with him. So this morning, I'm just really trying to say one thing to you. You are the beloved. You. You, friend. Not just the church as a whole, the global church today, the church in heaven. Not just, yes, that church is the beloved. But not just them, not just the person sitting somewhere else, perhaps in this sanctuary, who seems like they've got their act together more than I do, at least. Not just whoever else you're tempted to compare yourself to and think, well, that person is more spiritual or more good or lovable than I am. No, I'm talking about you, friend. You, in all of your raggedness, in all of your anxiety, in all of your secret frailty and hidden failure, you, you are the beloved Your Heavenly Father, the one who knows everything that you have ever done, everything that you failed to do, that you should have done, the one who knows your every sin, your every thought, your every imperfection, every fear, every doubt, the one who looks at you in all of that, he says this, he says, you are my beloved. You are the one in whom I am well pleased. There are so many words that we give to ourselves, right? We label ourselves with, we say we're weak, we're anxious, we're tired, we're fearful, we're sinners, and yet beneath all of those names, there is a name that is more true, and that is that we are the beloved of God. The weight of this reality that we are God's beloved is almost more than we can bear right? Lewis puts it this way. He says, to please God, to please God, to be a real ingredient in the divine happiness, to be loved by God, not merely pitied, but loved, to be delighted in, 
rejoiced over as an artist delights in his work or a father in his son. It seems impossible, a weight or burden of glory which our thoughts can hardly sustain. But so it is, Lewis says. Yes, 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 so it is. You are the beloved of the eternal living God. And friend, that means that when God created the world, he did that for you because he loves you. Because you are the beloved. That's why he did it. When he hung the stars in the sky, he did it for you. Of course, yes, he did it for his own glory. And of course, he did it because of his love for humanity. But he also did it for you, friend. You as an individual, as a unique person, because you are his beloved. You see, God's passionate love for the human race is not only wide enough to encompass the world, it is also particular enough to isolate each one of us from the billions of the members of the human race and bring us as unique individuals, as a particular man or woman or child before the whole force of his personality and being and love. God does that with each one of us. Paul puts it this way in 1 Corinthians 8. He says, if anyone loves God, he is known by God. I mean, that's remarkable. If you love God, you don't just know God. God knows you. You are known by him. And you are known by God not only in an intellectual way, and that he knows that you exist. No, he knows you intimately, individually. The creator of the universe not only knows your name, friend, but he holds you in his gaze. He knows you as a father knows his child. And that means that somehow, in the mystery and the power of God's eternal triune being, Long before you existed, he knew you. He knew the person you would become. And so when he hung the stars, he was making plans. He did it because of his love for you. Because you are his beloved. And so when he gathered the dry land and called it the earth, when he pushed the mountains toward the sky, when he created the deep seas and filled all those places with trees and plants and birds and fish and animals. He did those things for you on purpose because you are the beloved. I want to invite you to think for a moment of the most awesome experience, and I mean that in the old sense, right? All-inspiring experience you've had in all of God's creation, everything that he has made that you've experienced in your life, right? Maybe a moment or hour or day where you were at a certain place in the natural world that God made and you felt this sense of peace and wonder and rest that really only comes in that particular way. It might be a mountain or a lake or the beach 
or a forest or a field. It might be a place that is famous, like the Grand Canyon. It might be a place that only you know about. In the summer of 2021, when my family and I were on sabbatical, I found a place like that for me. You see, we were in Florida for several weeks, and my wife and children were with me, the five person in the world, five people rather, in the world that matter more to me than anyone else. And we were swimming in the Atlantic that day, and it was perfect. I mean, the sky was blue, the sun was out, not a cloud in the sky, it was low tide. And we all went out to this sandbar about maybe 150 yards or so from the beach, and it was totally safe because the water was so shallow because it was low tide. And the waves were just crashing there, right? The big breakers were coming in, and they were hitting just right in that spot, and the water wasn't too deep, so you could stand up in it. And we just body surfed with this, like, amazing football field of water right in front of us towards the beach so you didn't scrape up your chest or anything like that. We just rode those waves again and again and again for hours, laughing and yelling and being smashed down by the water and then coming up through the surface and running back as quick as we could to catch the next one because you never know how long those waves will last. The sky was blue, the sun was warm, the water was cool and wild in the deepest sense of that word, the way only the ocean really is. And I remember one moment in that experience, I was out there waiting for the next wave with my three oldest children, and I just looked at them, right, in a line, in a row there, and they were so beautiful and strong and confident and alive. And I thought, like, this is it, you know? Like, this might be peak life before the resurrection, right this second. And so now that little piece of Florida coast that's just south of New Smyrna Beach will always be precious to me. I know where it is. I can get back there because of what I saw and felt and carry with me even now from that moment. And I'm confident you might have something like that yourself. The point is, whatever that place is for you in creation, that place of beauty and peace where you've experienced for a moment something similar, here's the thing. At least one of the reasons why the living and eternal God made that place at the beginning of time from nothing is because in his infinite wisdom and providence, he knew that one day in the distant future, you would be born. And he was planning for it. He knew that you would grow up and that one day on the right day, on the perfect day, you, in his providence, would go to that place that he had made for you, and you'd love it. And for at least a few moments, you would feel a small taste of the eternal happiness and freedom and contentment that he made you for and that awaits you in the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. In other words, to put it straightforwardly, God, I am saying, made that particular piece of his creation 
because he knew that one day you would find it and you would be made happy by it. That's why. Not just for his own pleasure, but to give you pleasure as well. Whatever that place of beauty is for you, God made that for you. He made it because he wanted you to delight in it. Because this is what God does for his beloved. And that's who you are. And God did not only make the world because of his love for you, he also refused to let his love get off track when sin came into that world. In fact, he worked his entire story of salvation for you, friend. Because you are his beloved. You see, when God kept Noah and his family safe from the waters that covered the earth, he did that for you. Because otherwise you'd never been born. Because you are the beloved. When God called Abraham and took him to a place that he did not know and told him that he would bless all the families of the earth through him, he did it for you. In fact, you were one of those stars in the sky that Abraham saw. And when God delivered Israel out of their bondage in Egypt, when he went to war with Pharaoh and set his people free, that was for you. So that your sins would one day be forgiven. Because you are the beloved. When God made the walls of Jericho fall down, he did it for you. And when God taught David the words of the Psalter and told, them to write, told him rather to write them down in a book, he did that because he wanted you to pray those words. He wanted you to take those words on your lips and say them to him. Because you are the beloved. And that's what beloved do to one another. They speak and talk and converse. And most importantly, when the Son of God, Jesus Christ, took on flesh, when he died naked on a cross and rose again on the third day in glory, and then ascended to his father's right hand in power. That, friend, was for you. Because you are the beloved. And so my application this morning is simply this. This week, this month, this year that stretches before you, I invite you to abide and rest in this. That you are the beloved. You are the beloved of God. In other words, your job this year, your assignment from your pastor before anything else is to be the beloved. To be the beloved. That's what it is. Just embrace that. Embrace that title, that name that God has given you. Let it sink into your bones and your heart a little bit deeper this year, or maybe for the first time, let it go there. Just be the beloved. It's enough, friend. I promise you it is enough. Do you know how the Apostle John referred to himself throughout his gospel that bears his name? He doesn't call himself John. He always refers to himself as, quote, the one whom Jesus loved. I, mean, I love that. that. That's how he says his name there. I think it's fascinating. And I don't think it's just 
John being humble or because he wants to stay anonymous for some reason. I think he's making a profoundly theological point as he speaks about himself in reference to his Lord. John is saying that the name that he bears through the union that he shares with Jesus is deeper even than the name that his parents gave him. He's saying his real name is this. It's Beloved. His real name is the one whom Jesus loved. Beloved is who John actually is, even now, as his soul resides in the presence of God and his body awaits his resurrection. Beloved is his true name. And friend, beloved is your real name as well. Your real name, it's not really, in the end, Luis or Al or Kim or Alyssa, or whatever name you might have on your birth certificate. No, friend, your real name is not the name your parents gave you. Your real name is Beloved. And your full name, if you want to write your signature sometime, all the way out, it's the one whom Jesus loves. That's your full name. That's who you are. That is who you are, the one whom Jesus loves. So be the beloved, friend. Be who your heavenly Father says you are. Embrace the name he calls you by. I know some of you might be thinking, just be the beloved? Like, that is crazy. I need to do something. And I just say, stop with that for a moment, at least. Stop trying to do things. Stop trying to prove yourself. Just be the beloved of God. At least for the hour and a half or so on Sunday morning that we gather and worship. At least in that time, just be the beloved. See what happens. Others of you might be thinking, be the beloved? That is like totally unrealistic. Do you have any idea what I am really like? who I really am, what my sins actually are, how fearful and anxious and full of doubt I am so often. And I would say, no, I do not know that, friend. I do not know the totality of those things. How could I? But God does. The God who made you, he sees all of it. He is the one who holds your life in his hands He is the one who knows you fully more than anyone else. He sees all of your life history from every possible angle. And still he says, you are my beloved. So listen to his voice, friend. For heaven's sake, listen to your father. And be his beloved. Be his beloved and see then what happens when you embrace that name. I think part of what will happen is that you will be more and more set free to live in new ways, to live out of the freedom and holiness and security that is only known to those who know that they are God's beloved and that God's love will one day perfect itself by raising them from the dead. You see, all of us, friends, are called to be like Jesus. If there's anything that's central to the argument 
of the ethical stance of the New Testament. It is that we are to be like Christ. We need to be like Jesus. We need to live like him and imitate him, right? But here's the thing. The first thing that the adult Christ hears is that he is God's beloved son. The gospel writers agree. It is at the core of who he is. He is the beloved and he knows it. And he glories in it. If you read the gospels, he talks about it all the time. How much his father loves him. You know, there's, there, there's nothing that brings Jesus more joy than the reality that he is the beloved of his father. And so if we are going to be like Jesus, we are going to learn what it means to be who he is, the beloved of God. Now, I don't know fully what that means for any of us in its details, but I do know that to learn what it means to be the beloved is the great journey of your spiritual life. It is. Because your belovedness in Christ is the secret that is hidden at the core of your being by the God who made you. It is the truth that is most deeply true about each of you. So brother, sister, Hear me. You belong to God. You are not your own. And in Jesus Christ, God will never let you be separated from his love. Nothing can do it in all of creation. You are the beloved. So live in that love that is given to you. Be the beloved, even the beloved of God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we pray now that you would bless us with your Holy Spirit, that you would help us to reflect on this narrative in Matthew, these words that you spoke to your Son that are also because of our union with him given to us, that are signed and sealed to us in our baptisms, that we indeed are your beloved sons and daughters. Grant us this grace, we pray. Transform us into those who know fully and confidently the depths of your love. In Christ's name, amen.